Hi, and welcome to Emetophobia Help. I'm Anna Christie, recovered emetophobic and licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia. These podcasts have a trigger warning of words associated with emetophobia. If you enjoy these podcasts or you find them helpful, you can buy me a coffee. Just scroll down in the notes, click on the link, and for a couple of bucks, you can support the podcast. So season four, here we go. Are you listening from down under? If so, I have a set of emetophobia classes, 10 classes that I'm conducting beginning in January on a Wednesday afternoon here in Vancouver at four o'clock, which I believe is nine o'clock in the morning in Sydney, Australia. Um, it is also 7 p.m. Eastern. If anyone is interested in these classes, the information is on my website at emetophobiahelp.org. So I'm here today with Katie. Um, and where are you calling from, Katie? I'm in Bozeman, Montana. I'm in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, Montana. Beautiful. I have uh, only seen it once, but it's what I did see was just lovely country there. So are you in the city or, or out in the be some beautiful mountain area with horses? <laughs> in the city. But I wish I was in the beautiful mountain area with horses. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, anyway, um, let's, um, let's have you, let's begin by having you, if you don't mind, telling us your story of your emetophobia from the time when it started and from the time it started, what was it like? Yeah, so I didn't really have yeah, any kind so of like really traumatic, kind of, like, event, traumatic or event or anything. Um, it was just um, always was kind just of like a low-lying low thing in, in my mind. And I wouldn't and tell anyone because I, I would feel really, would feel really ashamed. ashamed. And I remember like the last time I threw up, which was over 10 years ago, I like was actively throwing up and being like wait like is this really what I've been scared of this whole time and mm -hmm. um that's like a moment I think about often because like 
when I didn't tell people about the fear, it didn't like become real. So it was actually less scary for me when I kept it to myself. Um, but I think about that often of the moment when I was actively doing the thing I was afraid of and being like, this is not bad. And I remember after throwing up, like laughing and being like happy and being like proud of myself for like doing this thing I had been really scared of and realizing it wasn't a big deal. But then, um, so that was about 10 years ago. And then the phobia got worse um, during COVID because of all the talk of germs and contamination and contamination OCD was something I had struggled with before. So when everybody's talking about it, <laughs> that made it right. That just made it a lot worse. And it got to a point where I, I needed to get help. Like I, I needed to get better and like it, it was affecting my life in a way that it hadn't before. So I tried some different things and eventually decided to go to a residential program for 30 days, which ultimately just helped me so much. Okay. Um, and just uh, remind me again, what, when do you think it started? Like how old were you when you th think it started? I was young. I don't exactly remember. Um, I was in elementary school and I just remember like always being afraid of it. And I don't know why. Right. right. Yeah. Well, that that's true for a lot of people. We don't know what causes it exactly or, you know, we don't have any history of trauma or anything that that people can necessarily remember. Did you have a pretty good childhood growing up or what was it like for you? I think it was fine. Um, like I, I wasn't ever like in trouble for throwing up. Like my mm -hmm. parents would like take care of us and everything. So I was just more scared of like how it feels to be out of control, I think is what it came down to. Um, I just mm. like kind of just felt like I always needed control over everything. And that's an issue I'm still like working through, but that definitely had to do with my metaphobia. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty common for most people with a metaphobia and most people with eating disorders as well. Um, they want sometimes they just can't control any part of their lives, so they can, but they can control what they eat, mm -hmm. you know. So um, and then for people with a metaphobia, it's more like, well, you can't control anything, you know, any any uncontrolled thing could just happen out of the blue at any time. And then that becomes really scary. Yeah. Um, so you didn't like to talk about your metaphobia. You at one time you were saying, yeah, you thought, thought you made it worse. Well, I just felt like embarrassed about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just like wouldn't talk about it or I would never like say the real reason I was scared or having anxiety there was one point in time growing up where I just like could not sleep. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night and just like have anxiety attacks. And my mom would have to sit with me and we'd sit outside and I would sip water and like, it'd be like, why is this happening? And I'm just like, I don't know, but I did know. And it's because like, I was scared I was going to mm -hmm. throw up in the middle of the night. Um, I just like was just embarrassed by it and didn't want to talk about it and didn't really even know the word for it until like I started doing some research about like how to heal it. Mm -hmm. 
And then you found, did you find any communities online that were helpful at the beginning? At the beginning of things, I think the communities I found online were more detrimental than helpful. Okay. I was a yeah. frequent visitor of the emetophobia subreddit, which a oh, lot, yeah. a lot goes uh-huh. down there. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really not great for recovering. So yeah, I've I've been there. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes, but I don't go there as often as I probably should. But um, yeah, um, one second, I've. There's a kitten in trouble here. Hang on. Oh, no. (laughs) Get out. As in, in trouble from, in trouble from me yelling at it for going into a dresser drawer and going, pawing through my tops that I just put in there, Mm -hmm. folded nicely. Anyway, okay. Sorry. Back to you. I'll edit that out. Don't worry. Uh, I, I should write down the time. Kitten. Mm-hmm. Back in 643. Four. So to, um, before you went into the um, residential program, was there any other kind of help that you got for your emetophobia? Or did you try to do any self-help? Or did you ever go to a therapist? Yeah, so I went to several therapists for both depression and anxiety, OCD, emetophobia things. Okay. And nobody ever really knew what it was. They mm. mm-hmm. they could treat the depression, and medication certainly helps a lot. But um, it wasn't until like I started residential and was paired with a therapist who has worked with people who have emetophobia that I feel right. like like I was able to like make a lot of progress. But I also made a lot of progress on my own before I went to residential through reading the Free Yourself from Emetophobia book mm, and yeah. reading the Emetophobia manual and listening mm-hmm. to your podcast and just like being very intentional about being in a recovery right. kind of mindset. Yeah, that, that's great. That's so good for me to hear. I'm so glad that there are books out on the market now. And well, there's this podcast, a couple of other podcasts have popped up actually as well. Um, and, and the more information that's out there, the better, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I think what you describe of your therapist not knowing anything about it is the most common you know, thing that happens to people who try to get help for emetophobia. So, um, and did you find that reading the books, for example, or reading and listening to the podcast, did you find that it was, that was difficult for you to really make progress on your own? Um, I felt like I was making progress if I like, stuck to the work of like doing exposure and stuff but like just reading the book and just listening to the podcast was not helpful unless I was doing something else with it like um there were like many things I did like in the exposure hierarchy but I feel like going to like this residential program where like time was set aside solely for um what's the word exposure Mm-hmm. Um, I think that helped a lot. That, that was, 
Yeah. All right. So we're just going to take a quick little break here. Just a little break halfway through to let you know about resources that you can find. First of all, I teach a set of 10 classes um, for people with emetophobia. And you can find information about those on my website at emetophobiahelp.org. I also have a Facebook group called Emetophobia No Panic. And you can look that up on Facebook. If you're listening as a therapist, there is a free website for you at emetophobia.net. It has all the resources you need for free to treat emetophobia. Dr. David Russ, child psychologist, and I recently published a book called Emetophobia, Understanding and Treating Fear of Vomiting in Children and Adults, and it's available at all online booksellers. And now back to our podcast. In so tell us about this residential program. Where was it? And um, how did you come to take, you know, were you able to just go there? Or how did it work? Yeah, so it's in Chicago. Um, I okay. think it was really hard to find a residential program that was not for like addiction, co-occurring, mm -hmm. mental health issues. Um and it was also really hard to find one that was in my insurance. But mm, there was mm -hmm. one in Chicago that had an opening. And so it was a really scary decision to be like, I'm going to like share a room with someone I don't know. I'm going to have be in like a communal bathroom and I'm going to eat food. Right. I don't know where it came from. Like all the common emetophobia mm -hmm. worries. Um. But, like, I knew, like, I just had to do it because I was also struggling a lot with depression. And I was at a time in my life where, like, I wasn't in school and I wasn't working. So, like, I had the time to go away for 30 days. Right. Um, and, like, yeah. looking at their, like, scheduling, like, there were some residential programs that were more focused on, like, trauma and stuff like that. And I was just, I just felt really lucky to find this one that was focused on like OCD and exposure response prevention therapy. Um, it was just a really good thing for me. Yeah, that's, that sounds like exactly. So, so um, can you tell us, because I'm sure people listening want to know, what do you do there? Like get up in the morning. Can you kind of walk us through a day in the life uh, of the 30 days? Yes. So, you get up, get ready for the day, and then you have breakfast, and then you'll have the, like, at the first class, like, there are many different classes about different topics. Um, there was, like, a shame okay. resilience class. There was a, like, um, self-image class. There, there were many classes on different things where you would get, like, handouts and, like, learn about that specific topic. Um, but the thing I found most helpful was, I believe on Tuesdays and Thursdays, maybe it was Wednesdays and Fridays, there was like a block set aside for ERP or behavioral activation, which for behavioral activation mm -hmm. is if you're like depressed and like just activating your behavior as it sounds, but then the ERP right. is, um, mm -hmm. you know, the exposure 
response and prevention. So you would um, have a therapy session once or twice a week, and then you would discuss what you would do in that time in your therapy session. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just time set aside to like, I would watch videos of people throwing up like really gross videos on YouTube that just like that aren't like, I'd watch like compli compilations, compli. I don't know how to say that. Uh Yeah. Right. I don't know either. Compilations. I say, I always say, but I don't think that's right pronunciation either. A bunch of them all together, yes. like a like a collage, except in video. Yeah, yes. um, yeah. Those are those are tough to take, aren't they? Because they're kind of one thing, run right after another. Mm-hmm. I don't have any. Uh, the only thing I have that's a compilation <laughs> is I'm laughing at myself trying to say the same word. Um, is is one called um, uh, I don't know twenty children's concerts gone oh, wrong yeah, or something that like that and and half of them are just funny and the other half are some kid throwing up which i suppose some people find funny mm-hmm. but so were you watching these videos and so on by yourself or with a therapist i would do it by myself but you could ask for like support before during after um but i preferred to just like put my headphones on and watch it on my ipad um, so big okay. screen, just people just like throwing up. There was one video that's just disgusting that like, I still remember, but I watched it several times over the course of my treatment. And I mean, it's like, I feel like I could watch it now and be okay. Cause I like desensitized myself yeah. to it a lot. Right. Um, but as what can you give us a brief description without uh, the gory description of what the video these, was? I'm I'm hoping it wasn't one on that's on my on my website. No, Go ahead. I don't remember where. <laughs> I think I might have just found it by searching YouTube. Um, uh-huh. It was like two teenage boys riding a bunch of riding that spinny ride uh, at like a fair. Oh yeah, and like eating yeah. and then seeing yeah. who throws up first. And it's oh, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And that's the reason why, even though I don't have a phobia anymore, I don't go over to the rides part of the Pacific National Exhibition yeah. that we have here and walk underneath them. You know, I that's might walk past. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And we'll say dangerous because you could, you know, something deadly could fall on your head like a piece of metal or something or you know i I don't know if it's but but nobody wants to get thrown up on you know not when you're out for the day trying to have a good Mm -hmm. time so those people aren't very so were you did you have um any exercises or things that you had to do in your residential program that were harder than looking at those videos there was a lot of like unintentional exposure um, because I was in downtown Chicago and Mm -hmm. we would frequently like go for walks around the city and I think I counted once there was like seven piles of vomit in one walk. Wow (laughs) holy I haven't seen vomit on a sidewalk for about 30 years but (laughs) yeah I live in the suburbs so (laughs) yeah 
it was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not to scare and, people away from going to Chicago, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you didn't have to do any interoceptive exercises like pretending to vomit or spinning around or any of that? My therapist talked about doing it, but we just like never really did. Um, I would watch videos okay. and then like eat a snack right after, or I would watch videos and eat a snack while I'm watching the videos. Okay. So, yeah. That's, yeah. 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 Good. And it, you found that it, at, sorry, we're, I know we're cutting in and out. We've got some issues with, with connection today, but you found overall that the program was helpful for you. Like what percentage of recovered would you say you are at this point? I mean, I don't even say that I have a metaphobia anymore. I say like I used to have okay. a metaphobia. Oh, um, that, that's great. Because it's just great. not something I really think about anymore. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, I'm going to wrap up just because of our connection problems. But Katie, I think that, you you know, I'm so glad you came today and we managed to get your whole story out because a lot of people are afraid to go into these residential programs and some people, especially for OCD or if you have depression alongside of your anxiety or if you need your medication regulated alongside of doing things, you know, they're the absolute best. And there are a number of them all over um, America. There's, there's a good one in Toronto at Sunnybrook Hospital. There's one in, um, you know, in London, England, you would want to contact Dr. David Veal. They have residential programs. And um, there are a number of Rogers residential programs if you are a child, like a teenager, um, that are really, really good. So thank you so much for being with us today and telling your story. Yeah. Can I just say one thing about recovery? Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, for me, I thought I could, I thought you'd be able to feel yourself like actively recovering with each step you take. But for me, it was more like a switch of like doing things that one day I could never have done before. Like I remember going down a really bumpy road and being like, I never would have done this three months ago. So right. for me, recovery is just like a switch of like, I can do these things I, I never thought I would do. Great. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I'm so glad. All right, Katie, thank you so much.